MacBam Media, in association with Big Shtick Productions, proudly present Kosher Style Stories by Barbara Hannah Austin. Barbara Hannah Austin was born on the kitchen table above her father's linoleum store in Brooklyn. A few minutes after graduating from high school, she married and had two brilliant kids. After her divorce, she married several more times. She lives in Calistoga, California, and is looking forward to revisiting with you the places she fondly and oft-times hilariously writes about the Brooklyn of yesterday. I'm E.L. Richards, the producer of this podcast, but you won't be hearing from me much. We want Barbara to do all the talking. Here's an interview that I conducted with her where she talks about her process, how we got to kosher style stories, what that means to her, and what might be coming next. So, um, Barbara. (laughs) That's my name. (laughs) How did you get started um, with wanting to uh, write or um, tell these kosher style stories? I didn't know they were kosher style stories until I started to write. I was coming back from New England, visiting my sister a couple of years ago. And I'm on the plane. I saw the movie. I didn't want to see it again. It was a terrible movie. I read the magazines, which were terrible magazines. There were no newspapers. So I had pencil and paper with me. And I thought, let me write all the pivotal times in my life. And I thought, you know, five, ten pivotal times. Well, I got to 137 pivotal times. How many people have 137 pivotal times? You know, first I started with recognizing that I was a child. I looked in the mirror and I saw that I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And that was an awakening for me because I was, you know, people would say, oh, you're such a pretty little girl. I've looked in the mirror. Uh, To me, that was an awakening that, oh, I am a pretty little girl, you know. Then I remember getting married. That was pivotal. Having kids, getting divorced and getting divorced and getting married and getting divorced. And when I got to 137, I realized, you know, I wonder if I could write about all this stuff. But I didn't know I could write well. I mm-hmm. thought I spoke okay. And someone handed me a book called If You Could T- If If You Could Talk, You Could Write. And I thought, gee, that's interesting. Okay, let me read the book. And I started writing. Right. And I found that I had a voice and that the stories were laced with Yiddish, so they were kind of kosher to begin with. <laughs> and in the middle of the night, I got up and I thought, oh, I'm writing kosher style stories. And I thought, gee, that was good. So what was the, um, what was the first story that you, did you, and that you did write? Oh, that's an interesting, the first story I wrote was, I believe it was about the ride man. And I have it actually. Uh, when I was little, maybe five or six, a man with a truck came around the neighborhood in Brooklyn. And on the back of his truck, instead of a regular truck, he had a merry-go-round. <laughs> and it was a big circular barrel kind of thing with five little horses in it. And he would stand outside of this big barrel with horses, little wooden horses in it, and wind this thing, and the thing would go round and round. And I believe I have that story. Let me look. Okay. 
So um, how many stories do you think you have written uh, to this point? Well, it's been about four and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I think I have written easily 400 stories. Wow. I think. Mm -hmm. I have never counted them, but it seems I'm always writing every week. And I started a class um, when I realized I wanted to write because I once went to college in the front door and out the back door. So I didn't have, you know, I don't have a base of literature. Mm -hmm. I'm a reader. And I thought, well, let's give it a shot. You know, I'll try it. And um, the Right away, uh, not that my grammar was perfect and not that my phrasing was great, but the teacher noticed that I this I have a voice. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you have a certain voice. And I'm like, yeah, we all have a voice. No, Barbara, you have this voice. You have this New York kind of Yiddish, mm -hmm. kind of not. And um, I was pleased. So I just was encouraged to write. Mm -hmm. And then we had to write a story a week. It, they pushed us. And I thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to do it. Well, I couldn't write quick enough because the story started coming. <laughs> and they still are coming. And it's almost five years later. Wow. So that feels really good. That's awesome. Yeah. So it must be like now that you're in the flow of writing, um, as ideas and memories and things come back, you feel the freedom to just be able to write them down. I do. And I also have other stories that I haven't really written down about being a teenager at 40 mm -hmm. because I was married very young. At 40, I got divorced and I had never dated anyone except my husband. So I lived a teenage mm -hmm. between 40 and 60. I was a teenager <laughs> and that was quite a lot of fun. <laughs> And I have quite a lot of stories about that. Is that from the Barbara Gone, Gone Wild series? Yes. <laughs> and that's true. That's awesome. With my children looking on. Oh. Yes. So um, do you have any stories that you've written that are your favorite, like a favorite one or a favorite few? Well, I loved Travels with Rhoda because... It's up to date. It's like it happened, you know, last year. It's like happened yesterday. And I adore my sister, and I wanted to kill her every hour on the hour on our trip. And just to to peek into that window is we left we with the family has a little cottage up in New Hampshire. New Hampshire and Montreal, Canada, are two hundred miles apart. We left the house. Rhoda had gotten the car washed and blah, blah, blah. And we get in the car and I said, you have a, what do you call that thing that tells you where you're going? The GPS. The GPS. That's <laughs> the word. And uh, she said, oh, yeah, I have one. I said, good. So we start driving. And about an hour later, I said, you know, we should turn on the GPS. She said, oh, it doesn't work. <laughs> I said, I asked her if we have a GPS. She said, it's right there. It doesn't work. That was the beginning. And it got more complicated, more ridiculous, more crazy from getting lost literally every half hour the first day and stopping anywhere and everywhere to ask for directions. And we neither one of us could read a map. I am so dyslexic. I get lost in my house. And by the time an hour and a half passed, I said, why is the, ga the gas gauge on red? She said, oh, I forgot to fill the car. We're in the country. The cows are mooing. We have no gas. 
The GPS doesn't work. The phones don't work. We stopped. I got out of the car. I walked about, I don't know, the 20 minutes, and I found a, a house, and she said, oh, you, you can get gas right down there. So that was the beginning of <laughs> of craziness. It's a wonder you got anywhere. Well, we were arrested. We were <laughs> lost our car. We, uh, it, it, well, you know, you've heard the stories. I mean, I'm happy to tell them, but it was, it was craziness. It really was. But that, I think that's my favorite little series. I think there are five or six stories. Mm-hmm. And it makes me laugh to think about it because I can laugh now. I was not laughing when it <laughs> happened. I mean, my sister took a bouquet of flowers from someone's table at a restaurant who were probably celebrating their 80th anniversary and put it on our table. I said, what are you doing? She just looks much better on our table than their table. How do you, how do you reckon with that mentally? How do you deal with it? You just have to go, holy shit. <laughs> were there stories, um, that you found, although you wrote them, that what you found very difficult? to write. Yes, there there are stories, there were stories, and still are stories that are very difficult. Um, I had a head injury at 10 years old, and piecing together what happened, and why it happened, and how it happened, was kind of like sewing a quilt with, instead of material, you have linoleum, or you have glass. You c- I couldn't sew them together. So I, I kind of had to create cement to hold them together. And it was really a challenge. And it was really sad because many things happened um, during that time that to this day I don't still don't understand. Mm-hmm. And there are no answers for it because my parents are gone. Right. If they weren't gone, they'd be 200 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that was that was really a big challenge. And when it, when I finally did it, I still don't feel it's complete because they're not there to ask, you know? Mm-hmm. So I did what I could do. Right. So when you're writing your stories, do you ever feel like you need to edit yourself because you're worried about what somebody else might think because you're using, you know, real-life people when you're writing the yes. stories who are, some of them are still alive? <laughs> yes, yes. The families of some of the people are still alive. And I, yes, I wrote a story about, a close relative who was a very naughty boy, to say, to put it mildly. And I had to rewrite the whole story with uh, different names and different areas. And yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and but, it, but in order to write it, I had to write it as if it happened and the people that it happened with. Mm-hmm. But when I realized that <laughs> the grandchildren of these people are still alive, I dare not. I mean, not that they're going to read my stories, but you never know. Right. Do you think that there'll come a time where you feel like the need to tell this story for your own self and your own life will um, will will be above like this the need to like censor or for their own feelings or like you you just feel like there's a truth you need to get out and you don't want to. Well, you know, I'm very fortunate because I have a lawyer in the family and I'm going to check with her <laughs> because um, I actually would love to just tell the truth. And I don't know how smart that is, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, the story is true, but the people and the places are true in my story. But I had to change all that when I redid it because I was worried about hurting feelings and stuff like that. When you're writing stories, like even ones that you've already written them, they've been published or not, do you go back and 
like change them or like do any revisions like you might look at something and be like oh well i i wanted to add this or or do you just leave them be i actually leave them be but because i have an editor uh, who's my teacher and she'll say you know the second sentence belongs in the first sentence but and 75 percent of the time i agree with her 25 percent of the time i won't do it i won't do what she tells me because i know in fact, there's a phrase in this little story that I just wrote about. Uh, he called me Mamala. Um, I knew that the phrase had to be that phrase. It, it wouldn't work in my mind for any other phrase. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, I think I really admire and listen to the editor. And then there are times that I say, no, I have to just leave it that way. Even, the, even if the English is incorrect, it's correct for me. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there are ever any stories in you that will be too painful to write about? I actually, interesting that you ask that because the story about my son who's now gone uh, is very difficult. I touched on it in the la- one of the last stories that I wrote about um, Shana Means Beautiful because my son was with me when I got the dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, that story is being published, which is such a gift I always you know when things get published it's like I don't know it's like drinking champagne and getting totally high and you can't come down from the high and I would like to write about his last days but even as I say it I start crying Hmm. well that's good I think we got some good background and and I made you cry (laughs) 